Every team, every topic, everywhere, this is Believe. All right, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Believe in Jags podcast episode 101. Glad to have you all back. I am your host for today, riding in solo, James Johnson, um, as Phil had some family-related matters to take care of. Uh, But fear not, I told him I will hold down the fort and I can handle this one uh, because it'll be pretty simple with all that's going on this week. And of course, the topic at hand that I'm talking about uh, that will be discussed here is the news that Trent Baalke, according to NFL Network's Ian Rappaport, friend of the show, by the way, uh, according to him, Trent Baalke will be retained by the Jacksonville Jaguars. And of course, that has caused a big uproar on Twitter. You all have seen uh, the post that I made about it on the site in terms of the reactions and in terms of the movement that's going on. And we're going to talk about all of that as, uh, you know, it just seems like this news really, really, really has gotten uh, the fans going and they're letting it be known that they're upset about it, which rightfully so. And you've heard my uh, thoughts on Trent Baalke as well. So, you know, I'm right there with them in a roundabout way when you look at his body of work. So we'll be discussing all of that on this episode. We'll keep it pretty brief and keep this one pretty simple and pretty much stick to that. And I'll also probably go into Trent Baalke's background in terms of Specifically, the draft history that he had uh, with the San Francisco 49ers, uh, which probably won't bode well for Trevor Lawrence and building a team around him, uh, which kind of explains one of the is is one of the reasons that, you know, fans are upset about him being uh, the guy giving a nod to help with the head coaching search and furthermore uh, build this team around Trevor Lawrence. But before we get into that, of course, I want to thank all of our loyal listeners and new listeners as well. Uh, you can follow me at sportsgrind underscore Don on Twitter. You can follow the website that I am the managing editor for, jaguarswire.usatoday.com. Uh, you can also follow Phil who, uh, you know, he contributes to the Jaguars Wire as well here and there and is the voice of this podcast, the Believe in Jazz podcast. You can follow him on Twitter at Phil the Filipino if you want to go ahead and give him a follow as well. And uh, as always, thank you for rating, commenting, subscribing, whatever the case may be. And if you haven't done any of that, we encourage you to go ahead and do so through your platform, whatever that be. Um, as we are pretty much on every major platform. Uh, for those of you who are new here, uh, we're on Spotify, Google Play, TuneIn, Stitcher, um, Apple Podcasts or iTunes, uh, Luminary, Amazon Music. You pretty much name it, we're there. And uh, if we aren't there, feel free to reach out to us and let us know um, of any platforms that we may not be on because we want to get everybody covered in terms of getting this weekly podcast uh, to the the listeners out there uh, that want their daily or their, you know, their weekly information, takes and opinions on the Jacksonville Jaguars. And also uh, in advance, if uh, my audio sounds a little stronger than normal, I'm using a different mic today because 
um, I, I had to travel, so I brought a USB mic as opposed to uh, my other mic. So just excuse if if the audio sounds a little bit harsher than normal. I'll try and uh, you know fix that up in post edits if I can and what have you. Uh, but just bear with me if it does sound a little harsh uh, because this one is going to be a good one uh, where we cover a situation again that many many are upset about and it seems like it's a consensus situation that everybody in the jacks fan base agrees upon which we'll get more into that later but before we get into uh the meat and potatoes of the show of course we have to give a shout out to one of our sponsors and we'll have another sponsor to give a shout out to uh later in the podcast but we got to start with our og sponsor which is betonline.ag and as you all know, betonline.ag is back and better than ever with a new web interface for the rest of the NBA season and more props, odds, and lines than ever before. So if you would, head on over to the new updated desktop and mobile website to sign up today and receive your 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Just use our promo code BELIEVE50 to receive your bonus. From basketball, football, NHL, boxing, and UFC to your favorite Vegas casino, don't wait to take advantage of the amazing offers that remain for the 2021 season. As you all know, uh, the new year is coming up, so feel free to take uh, advantage of all of the offers they have for now at the moment. And um, head over to Bet Online, which is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet Online, where the game starts. So with one or two ads out of the way, uh, let's let's actually take a, a quick detour and go into some quick hit news before uh, we talk about the bulky situation, uh, because I feel like, uh, you know, that's that's the appropriate thing to do here as the head coaching search is underway, which Ian Rappaport said bulky will be, quote unquote, helping with. Uh, so take from that what you will. But in terms of the search itself, we'll get into bulky later in terms of the search itself. Uh, the Jacksonville Jaguars had eight candidates that they reached out to to, you know, interview for their head coaching vacancy uh, as Urban Meyer was fired earlier in the month and let go for uh, a wide variety of things off the field incidents between him and his players um, incidents, you know, and not seeing eye to eye with his coaches, you name it. Uh, it was pretty much a disaster. And now we're here once again in the month of December looking for a coach again. And according to multiple reports, the eight people that the Jaguars have reached out to uh, to, you know, fill this vacancy are as follows. All right. So there is Doug Peterson, former uh, Philadelphia Eagles coach from I think it was 2016 to 2020 or it might have been 15. But I'm pretty sure it was 16. Um, As we all know, he was fired in January of this year and let go by them, but won a Super Bowl with them. And uh, is looking to get him back into coaching. He will be the first interview, according to Ian Rappaport, which will take place today, December the 30th, which is Thursday. Um, or that might have been according to Tom Palacero. I don't want to misquote anybody on that. But that's happening today. It's the first interview. I think that was Ian Rappaport that confirmed that it's happening on December the 30th. Uh, but Tom Palacero was the one that initially broke the news. So I think that's what it is Um, again. Um, don't hold me to that if I got it wrong. Jim Caldwell, former Indianapolis Colts and Detroit Lions uh, head coach who is out of the league as well. He'll interview the date and time on that is not known um, at the moment. And by the way, we have a coaching tracker, head coaching tracker 2022 uh, on Jaguars Wire. Feel free to 
look that up and you know that'll keep you up to date in terms of the list and who has confirmed that they will interview and who hasn't confirmed that they will interview but continuing on now these are candidates that uh it hasn't been stated that they will interview but the jaguars have requested to interview them and that is byron left which of course we spoke on him many many times uh, Tampa Bay Buck, uh, the Tampa Bay Bucks current offensive coordinator under Bruce Arians. Rick Stroud broke that from the Tampa Bay Times. Y'all might recognize his name as he was the guy that broke the Josh Lambeau report as well. <laughs> did some uh, great work on that and, uh, you know, did the Lord's work, if you will, quote unquote, uh, for a lot of Jags fans that didn't want Urban Meyer here. Also, Rick Stroud confirmed that Todd Bowles, uh, the Bucks defensive coordinator uh, will also interview for the job as well. He was once a head coach for the New York Jets, who he also was a secondary coach for, if I can recall correctly. Um, I'll have to look up that. Uh, but I think I wrote about that on the site. So I digress from my point. Matt Eberflus, another defensive name, by the way, Indianapolis coach, defensive coordinator. A lot of people won't necessarily like that one uh, because, you know, we – would prefer a uh, offensive coach for Trevor Lawrence. But look, that doesn't necessarily matter. Some of the best coaches in the NFL are defensive minds. Mike Tomlin uh, and Bill Belichick are examples. But that being said, Eberflus uh, is a guy that, uh, you know, a lot of people, uh, I think it was a Texans unfiltered podcast, would consider him the kryptonite to Deshaun Watson, even though Deshaun Watson isn't going to be in the division anymore. But that just kind of tells you what kind of a mastermind Matt Eberflus is. I wouldn't mind that because it's a lot of good people in the Colts camp that he could poach over um, and, and bring over to the staff. But not atop my list, but wouldn't mind it, you know, if it did happen, um, especially if, you know, Balky ends up not being the GM and uh, you know, he can bring over somebody like Ed Dodds. So that was confirmed by Tom Pellicero. Nathaniel Hackett, former Jaguars offensive coordinator under Doug Marone, was fired on the 2018 season, if I can recall. Uh, but, you know, since he's uh, caught on with the Packers and Coach LaFleur over there, they've done great things. He's received a, he's received an endorsement from Aaron Rodgers, which is huge. Uh, because he interviewed for the Falcons job last year and Aaron Rodgers signed off on him for that. So uh, that's good. And I know a lot of people won't put Hack at the top of their list. Um, you know, some guys I would prefer over Hackett as well. Uh, but, you know, he's really, really liked that, that Packers facility um, aside from Aaron Rodgers. And he brings, you know, the, the energy and all of that that you would like uh, to have at the Jacksonville Jaguars uh, facility. And, uh, you know, he could be a guy that can maybe change that culture um, just from uh, the energy that he exudes alone. Um, Kellen Moore, uh, one of the younger guys, I spoke on him in the spaces. He's my age. Uh, so he, he is probably as young as it gets for a head coach. The Dallas Cowboys offensive coordinator over there doing his thing. Uh, they currently, if I'm not mistaken, have the number one offense in football. And uh, they have like top three to four passing and rushing offenses as well. Uh, albeit they have more talent over there. Uh, but a guy a lot of people are high on, I like him myself. And, uh, you know, a young man that, um, you know, depending on who he can bring with him, he, he probably would need a OG staff full of OGs and older people because he's so young. But depending on who he can bring, he can bring a pretty dangerous staff, you know. And a guy, again, we'll talk about this later, if you don't anchor him to Trent Baalke, 
he can bring in one of those Dallas Cowboys executives over there as well. And we can get a very good thing going around here uh, and surround Trevor Lawrence with some talent. So Adam Schefter confirmed that on Hackett, it was Tom Pelissero that broke that. On Eberflus, it was Tom Pelissero uh, on that as well. And one last one is Dan Quinn, uh, who it was revealed. And this was, um, it came out from Adam Schefter that he would interview. But uh, it was revealed that he is... Um, He's hesitant to interview, I guess you could say, if you will, or doesn't want to interview because the season is still ongoing. And in years past, you know, these interviews came after the regular season was over. Um, and that being said, it's two games left. And maybe Dan Quinn just wants to focus on those two games. But I don't know if I exactly buy that because the Dallas Cowboys, if I can recall, have clinched the uh, NFC East title. So, uh, there's pretty much none left for them to do on that end. But, yeah, they still could uh, be fighting for, you know, the top seed in the NFC. So, I mean, you can make an argument that he wants to focus on that and getting the defense right for that. But when is a better time for a coach to interview, if you will, than, you know, when they've locked down at least their uh, their conference or, excuse me, their division title um, I feel like that's just the perfect time to want to, and you know, you know, I don't want to speak for Dan Quinn and what he should do, but that's the perfect time for me, in my opinion, you know, to fulfill any interviews or take any interviews that may come. Uh, so I think it's more to it than that. Uh, but nonetheless, uh, we'll see. He he's a guy. He's a not a top of the list for me. Definitely, as you all know, I'm a Atlanta Falcons fan. Secondarily, wasn't impressed with him. Um, all that much after the Super Bowl run. But, you know, time will tell if he truly interviews for the job, um, if he, you know, changes his mind and, you know, has a change of heart and, and, and takes the request or whatever the case may be. But right now it looks like he's the one guy of these uh, these coaches that I've named that won't be interviewing with the Jacksonville Jaguars, though uh, it certainly hasn't been uh, ruled out for certain. Uh, so it's, it's, I guess it's a, a time will tell type of thing. So we have Kellen Moore, Nathaniel Hackett, Dan Quinn, maybe Matt Eberflus, Ty Bowles, Byron Leftwich, Jim Caldwell, and Doug Peterson right now who will interview. And uh, yeah, this process is going to get really, really interesting in terms of, uh, you know, who they go with and what direction they go with. I've already spoke my piece on that. You can uh, listen to podcast before in the past and you know i know we did say we would do a podcast this week on you know the gm candidates that could be paired up with some of these candidates that we've looked at in advance however with the news breaking with trent balky uh, i guess there's no need for that right now though shotgun could have a change of heart or it could be up to the coach still we don't know like we haven't heard anything about this from the jacksonville jaguars shotgun or trent balky so you know, we don't know if this is a situation if uh, a situation where the coach will decide if they want to keep bulky or not. But for Ian Rappaport to go out there and report it like that, something's up. And um, I guess time will tell, like, what direction they will go with that. But um, you already know where I stand on this. You know, I think Byron's probably my number one guy, uh, though. I think Jim Caldwell and Doug Peterson are close um, seconds to him. I probably put. Caldwell over Peterson. So it'll be Byron Leftwich, Caldwell, then Peterson as my top three. Um, and I've already explained all of that. Uh, but time will tell how it actually works out. And if any of these guys actually 
take an interview. We do know Caldwell has uh, accepted and Peterson has accepted. Uh, what about these other guys that's not named uh, Dan Quinn? Will they accept? And you would think they would um, because, again, it's only one of 32 jobs. So anyway, I digress from my point on to Trent Balky and the situation at hand with him. As I uh, previously said, Ian Rappaport said he would be helping with the GM search and that uh, he will be retained and that uh, both Balky and the coach will report the shot. Khan, of course, that started an uproar because it's another half measure uh, approach for Shad Khan, first and foremost. And fans at this point know that Shad Khan has tried a half measure approach many, many times. It hasn't worked aside from 2017. And they know that a full measure approach is needed. And furthermore, fans know that Balky has a terrible track record. And it's crazy that the fans know this and that Shad Khan doesn't. It's just baffling. Um, but he has a terrible track record as a GM. Um, you know, you hear things about people in the facility not liking him, you know, a lot of people for that matter. Um, you hear things, you know, just league wide of people telling stories or, you know, not speaking all that highly of the guy. And, and, and secondly, when you look at, you know, the offseason that he had and what he put together, it's reflective of what we've seen in San Francisco and the ineffectiveness that he had putting rosters together there. And I know, you know, a lot of people look at the, I think it's 2011, 12, and 13 seasons where they, you know, they pretty much went to the playoffs or were in their conference championship or whatever the case may be. But as I said, in the spaces, a lot of those players that he had were holdovers, like the Frank Gores of the world. Frank Gore was already there uh, long before Balky came. Yeah, I think Balky may have been a scout or something when Frank Gore, at best, he was a scout when Frank Gore was drafted, if that uh, but Frank Gore might have been in place before Balky even got into the organization point blank, period. Uh, so Frank Gore was already there. A lot of the, that's the thing. A lot of the offensive pieces that propelled that team were in place aside from like Colin Kaepernick. But Michael Crabtree was there. Uh, Vernon Davis was there. Uh, Joe Staley, uh, all pro tackle. And, you know, somebody some people will argue that. Uh, he's a former Hall of a uh, future Hall of Famer or whatever the case may be. Joe Staley, all of those guys already in place. And all of those guys, if I can recall, were in place, um, you know, around the 2005 or maybe uh, seven area or even earlier than that. In some cases, like Staley, if I'm not mistaken. So those guys were there long before Balky got there. And those were a lot of the guys that um, helped him, you know, help to make that team. Uh, as successful as it was and also John Harbaugh is a great coach excuse me Jim Harbaugh uh yeah whether you like him or not as we all know he's currently in Michigan by the way whether you like him or not he was a great coach and he brought some revolutionary things into the NFL that they weren't using but the the uh the college game was using you know like the pistol offense and uh, this, that, and the other. But, yeah, you can't credit Balky for bringing Colin Kaepernick into the mix. You could credit him for bringing Alden Smith into the mix. Uh, however, the the pieces that were around Kaepernick were already in place. He didn't have to add a receiver into the mix. He didn't have to add any pass catchers. Like I mean, to any important pass catchers into the mix, as I said, because Crabtree and Vernon Davis were already there. Uh, the left tackle position, the blind side position to protect 
Colin Kaepernick was already covered with Joe Staley or uh, if is Colin Kaepernick right-handed or excuse me uh, is he left-handed if he's left-handed the other side is his blind side but anyway a lot of those pieces I digress from my point a lot of those pieces were already in place in terms of you know all they basically needed was to insert the quarterback there who they got in the second round by the way but Anyway, you know, it was some pieces on the defensive side that was already there. He did add Alvin, Alden Smith, very important piece to the, the equation um, because that's the pass rusher position. That's the premium position and Navarro Bowman. Uh, but still, it was people in place that, you know, that were already there that were drafted beforehand or just uh, taken in by the 49ers through free agency before, beforehand, like Justin Smith and Isaac Sopawaga and, you know, guys of that nature as well. So, as we saw, you know, after the 20, what was it, 13 season, it all started to crumble when John Harbaugh, excuse me, I keep saying John, Jim Harbaugh moved out of the equation. They couldn't find that success. They couldn't find the right coach uh, in terms of getting the players uh, in a system and, and getting the players in a situation where they could flourish. They couldn't find the right guy after that. And furthermore, it's also alarming that they couldn't find a guy to pair with Trent Baalke in the sense of a guy that could see eye to eye with him. That's alarming. And this is something that if you're shot, Khan, how do you miss this? How do the fans notice this and you don't notice this? And you're supposed to be more hands-on, right? That was supposed to be the big thing was shot Khan wanted to be more hands-on. And this is just minor research that can be done on Trent Baalke's tenure. But when Harbaugh left, right, basically there was just a current uh, or, or excuse me, a consistent change in coaches for the next three years until they fired Baalke as well. And they just did a full measure uh, change, which is what Caldwell needs to do or excuse me, which is what Shad Khan needs to do. And learn from, uh, I think it's Jed York that's, that's their owner over there in San Francisco. But after Harbaugh left, there was, uh, I think they named Jim Tom Sula the coach for a little bit. Uh, there was also Chip Kelly, who was named the coach for a little bit. So that marks three coaching changes under Trent Baalke, uh, which again is alarming. And that's simple information. That Shad Khan can go in. This is nothing he has to make calls for. None of that. Now it's you know there are some things that you could you could say that he could reach out to people for and and you know ask them about Trent Baalke and this that and the other. Uh, but this is stuff that doesn't even require calls. This is stuff that you can go back and look at and research yourself and find on the web and what have you. And I know Shad Khan you know, owns a bumper company. And I know Shad Khan is busy with other endeavors, but this is stuff you can find within 10 minutes or so uh, to make a very, very important decision for uh, a very, very important aspect of your life, which is your football team, the NFL team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. Uh, this is simple stuff that could be done uh, in terms of finding out more information on this guy uh, that, we're to, that we're dealing with in Trent Baalke. So I said all of that to say this is that three coaching changes and, you know, rumblings and articles and, and things of that nature coming out that he didn't see eye to eye with any of those guys. That's alarming. And that's the guy that Shad Khan is comfortable enough with uh, putting into a Zoom conference with him or whatever the case may be to do the interviews with him. And needless to say. I mean, we all know this by now, but for those of you who don't, 
needless to say, uh, most head coaching candidates are going to want to work with a GM that they know of to some degree, have some kind of relationship with to some degree or whatever the case may be. Or they may want to very well bring in their own GM or pick their own GM and not be forced to take somebody that Shah Khan's putting them with. And again, we'll find out if that's truly the matter here, if Shah Khan is going to give that coach the luxury to choose who they want. But with the track record that Trent Baalke has, and with there being a frequent turnover of coaches over there in uh, San Francisco when Trent Baalke was there, a lot of people aren't going to want to work for this guy or work with this guy, should I say. And a lot of people are, they, they're well aware of, trust me, the NFL talks, and th- this is the thing, the NFL will do the research, unlike Shad Khan, the coaches, the candidates that they're interviewing will go and do the research. If they don't know about Trent Baalke, they know somebody that know about Trent Baalke or knows of Trent Baalke, and they're going to reach out to that person or people, whatever the case may be, multiple people, and they're going to find out who he is and find out that they don't want to work with this guy to some degree. So that affects your head coaching search. And for Shad Khan not to consider that or know that or, you know, have Ian Rappaport put it out there that he'll be sitting in on the Zoom conferences is just baffling. Um, so that being said, it'll affect the head coaching search. And you want to get the best guy available. You want to do what's best for Trevor Lawrence. This is the thing. When Shad Khan told the staff to turn in that card to draft Trevor Lawrence. At that moment, the team no longer became about Shad Khan. It became about doing what's best for Trevor Lawrence because he's the he could be the franchise savior because he plays the most important position in the game, arguably the most important position in sports, as we've seen with the Peyton Mannings of the worlds and uh, you know the the Tom Brady's of the world and what have you. That said, Shad Khan when he drafted. Trevor Lawrence, he 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 should have had the mindset that he's going to have to take on a different mentality as an owner and try and do what's best for Trevor Lawrence, not just him and his pockets or do what's best for him and his convenience. It's more so what can I do to best help Trevor Lawrence? And keeping Trent Baalke here is not what's going to help Trevor Lawrence because you're going to have a hard time finding the best candidate available that's going to want to work uh, with Trent Baalke and work with Trevor Lawrence. And I mean, they very well could want to work with Trevor Lawrence and see potential in him and like Trevor Lawrence or even know Trevor Lawrence. But the fact that Balky's there, a guy that they will do their research on or already know about, the fact that Balky's there and they're going to come to the conclusion that they don't like this guy or want to work with this guy is going to make them turn down the job or the interview might not go as good as it should. And then you have a problem. And also, this is another thing to consider here as well is that how much input is Shad Khan going to be taking from Trent Baalke? Now, if this is a situation where Shad Khan is going to come to his own decision on the coach and not consider anybody else's decision, um, then, you know, you could feel a little bit better about that, I guess. Then again, Shad Khan hasn't proven to be the best decision maker in football. In fact, he's the, you know, you can argue he's the worst decision maker in terms of an owner. Uh, but if it comes down to him and not letting Balky affect that, and that's a lot to ask for. And if he's not taking in Balky's input, because the thing is, Balky is going to tell him what he wants to hear. And Balky is going to say or vouch for the guy that's going to keep Balky in place and the guy that Balky can take advantage of the most. He's not going to tell Shad Khan, 
uh, the right thing for the franchise. He's going to tell Shad Khan what is the right thing for Trent Baalke. And therefore, you have a big mess on your hands. And therefore, uh, Trent Baalke doesn't need to be a part of this equation at all. And he should have been let go, if you will, already. But I guess you don't want to go gm for the last two weeks or three weeks of the season or whatever the case may be. Uh, but, you know, it does need to be known to the candidates, at least. If you haven't got rid of Trent Baalke, he doesn't need to be in the Zoom conferences. And it needs to be known to the candidates that you are not going to be anchored to this guy um, in any way, shape, or form if we decide to make you the head coach of the Jacksonville Jaguars. I mean, heck, it, it needs to be established that the guy that's in this Zoom conference with me, and I'm talking about Trent Baalke from the perspective of Shad Khan, the person in this Zoom conference with me, is a guy that whether you want to take him in or not or have a relationship with him or not, uh, that's not going to affect you getting the job. That needs to be established. And, I mean, the way you establish that is by not having Trent Baalke in the Zoom conference at all, point blank, period. Uh, and also, I mean, the thing about it is, like, they're working backwards. Uh, you hire the GM first in the first place if you're going to go with a GM and coach model where they're under the, the owner in this case and report to the owner. If that is the model you indeed want to follow, you need a new GM keyword in place first, and then you and the GM, you know, can conversate about all of the candidates that you interviewed and who you feel is the best fit and who the GM is the most comfortable with. That way you have no friction between the GM and the head coach because that's the thing. That's the most important or one of the most important positions or excuse me, relationships in this whole equation is the GM to head coach relationship. Because if that relationship isn't as tight as it need to be, then you have a situation where it's going to be dysfunction. You have a situation where one side can blame the other. The GM can blame the head coach. The head coach can blame the GM and the personnel department. And that being said, it leads to dysfunction. And that's what the Jaguars are trying to move away from. That's what Shad Khan should be trying to move away from. Put everybody on a level playing field. You know, if this doesn't work out for the GM, the head coach is getting fired. And if the head coach doesn't do his part, the GM is getting fired too. And let that be known. But, you know, again, you know, we have Shad Khan as an owner here who, uh, is showing that for whatever reason, he, he either doesn't know what he's doing. Uh, he doesn't want to put the effort into uh, a full reset or whatever the case may be. And, uh, you know, it could lead to another dysfunctional miss, which we've seen in the past with Tom Coughlin and Dave Caldwell and Doug Marone, or, uh, in the most recent case, Trent Baalke and Urban Meyer. So as we are here at the 30 minute mark, I was actually looking through our uh you know our outline and it appears we don't have a second ad so we're going to go right into the second part of the show continuing on Trent Baalke a little bit uh but as I was saying earlier this uh decision to retain Trent Baalke at least that we know of so far through Ian Rappaport the decision to keep him has started this clown out movement um and that's hashtag K-H-L-O-W-N capital O and then lowercase U T um, also a fire bulky hashtag has been uh, going viral as well, at least within the jazz community. 
and pretty much anything the Jazz put out on their Twitter account, basically what this movement is, is anything they put out on their Twitter account is getting combated with all of these comments with uh, a clown emoji with a mustache on it or just a flat out clown emoji uh, in reference to Shad Khan and his decision. Um, even their live streams, when they do their live streams for press conferences, uh, their live streams for their daily radio shows, which, you know, some of those go on TNT and Excel or whatever the case may be. Regardless, they're being bombarded with mostly nothing but clown emojis. You'll see a few worded comments here and there. Um, or, you know, you'll see hashtag fire what have you. But uh, this movement is going crazy. I've wrote uh, I've written about it on the Jaguars wire. I've also uh, posted all of the reactions from when people initially heard the news in the jazz community and the reactions to that and not just them but the reactions from national journalists as well who immediately called out the move and said like this is going to make things difficult on the Jacksonville Jaguars in terms of their coaching candidate search you know your your Albert your Albert Breers of the world um, and you know those those kind of guys your national guys and what have you so here we are the clown out movement is in full effect uh, supposedly the Jaguars are taking note of this and they are seeing all of this chaos that they've, uh, that they've caused. And if, you know, they decide to do something about it or not, uh, that's another story for another time. You know, we hope they would, we hope Shad Khan is, uh, paying attention and they have his attention and evidently, uh, the fan base does. But I said all of that to say this is we clearly see and understand how the fans feel about this situation, right? Uh, they've made a whole movement dedicated towards uh, expressing themselves and letting uh, ownership know and the Jaguars know that they aren't happy with Trent Baalke being retained. That's clear. But my question is, and what segment two is about, is what does Trevor Lawrence feel about this whole situation in terms of the retainment of Trent Baalke? And even if we rewind... And this is beside the point and uh, aside from the topic, but what has he processed and what does he think about how the first season went about the stuff that happened off the field, right? It's been so much chaos. And he said it too, like we need to solely, and I'm just paraphrasing here. We need to, you know, get rid of the distractions and solely focus on football here. And, you know, it looks like we were finally getting towards that when they fired Urban Meyer, which, uh, I don't know who it was, and I don't know if it, this was official report, but somebody said that uh, tr- uh, Trevor met with Shad Khan on his yacht to discuss if it was the right move or not. And that being said, that makes me wonder what does Trevor Lawrence feel about Trent Baalke? Because, again, this information on Trent Baalke and his struggles to acquire talent and his tenure in San Francisco is well documented, Right. And I know Trevor Lawrence is a busy guy, and I know Trevor Lawrence is studying the playbook and trying to, you know, keep the team together and keep everybody focused. And then you have all of these COVID issues that's going on left and right. So, you know, we don't even know who he's going to be playing behind in terms of an offensive line and the supporting cast in general, defense and all, receivers, everything. But... I know he's a busy guy and all of that, but again, like it isn't that hard to go back and look at Trent Baalke's track record. And you have to wonder if he has suggested the shotgun to clean the full house and get a GM 
And again, we don't know what Shahid Khan is truly going to do because he hasn't come out to say anything to confirm or deny the Ian Rappaport report or Balky hasn't come out to confirm or deny it, which we don't expect him to do because he doesn't really do press conferences like that or whatever the case may be. Like, I don't know what Balky does at all, to be honest with you. It's kind of like Urban Meyer. I mean, yeah, we've seen him, you know, have a hand in the free agency process. Obviously, he was the key hand in that and. Uh, the draft so that was a, a rhetorical question but I mean aside from that stuff like you don't really hear from Balkan he might come on the field here and there and shake some players hands which you could argue that that's Tom Coughlin like and that doesn't need to be a thing either you know that's another story for another time but what does Trevor Lawrence feel about Trent Balky and if he's done the research on Trent Balky in terms of you know again you know these this stuff is not hard to find out about him. You can make calls. You can reach out to this person. You can reach out to that person. And it makes you wonder, you know, who he's connected with and what they've told him about Trent Balky, you know, in terms of stories and this, that, and the other. And what he has told Shahad Khan about maybe restarting the whole, you know, resetting the whole thing and, you know, getting a new GM and head coach. And uh, for, furthermore, more so... If he has looked back at Trent Balky's track record, how disgusted or impressed, which it's hard to believe he would be, how disgusted or concerned, I guess that's the best word to look at, or, or that's the best word to uh, use here, how concerned he is about what he's seen, especially on the offensive side of the football, and in terms of drafting and acquiring offensive talent into the organization now as i said in the spaces that we had a few weeks ago the thing about trent balky is if you're going to be frugal and don't want to spend the cap money and it's not yours it's not even your money so what are you holding on for number two the jacksonville jaguars don't have anybody that's really worthy of an extension like that for three so furthermore you're holding on to it for no reason basically not in addition to it not being your money so it's no need to be this frugal and um you know this this reluctant to spend the money uh that is available for you to spend and to make the team better that's what it's made for um and the cap keeps going up year by year by year and you're not spending it but if you're going to be frugal and reluctant to use the salary cap and you can't draft as well and, you know, you're struggling with the draft in terms of hits, especially if you look at the San Francisco 49ers track record with him um, when he was there, then you're in trouble because you got to acquire talent, preferably through the draft. That's the most sustainable way to do it. But if you can't do that through the draft or free agency, you're in a world of trouble because those are the only ways and the only outlets to acquire a draft or uh, acquire talent to the team. Also, there's undrafted free agency, too. You definitely solely can't count on that either um, because you you would come up with one of the worst rosters in, in the, the whole NFL history, period, point blank. But if you can't do either one, you can't draft well and you don't want to spend the cap, you got to feel like, that concerns Trevor Lawrence. And if Trevor Lawrence is concerned with that, he definitely, and I'm sure he has, but if he hasn't, he definitely needs to say something because Shad Khan does value his opinion. And he may be the person of anybody here that is the most likely to persuade Shad Khan's decision in terms of moving away from Balky, which we it looks like that's not going to happen, but um, it feels like he's the most likely person that could 
you know, um, sway his decision. But that being said, though, when Trevor Lawrence, you know, if he has looked back at Trent Baalke's track record, and I'm not even talking about the off the field stuff and, you know, what what people are saying in terms of the circle, not just that, but, uh, you know, more so when you look back at his ability to acquire talent and I'm going to, what I'm going to do here is I'm going to uh, go back and look at some of Trent Baalke's drafts just to list off some talent that he acquired in the draft, especially on the offensive side that if you're Trevor Lawrence and you see this, you cannot absolutely uh, in any way, shape or form, have confidence in this guy being the guy that's going to build a team around you. And if that is the case, then Trevor Lawrence, if he isn't in Shot Khan's ear, you got to feel like he, uh, he he definitely needs to speak out and say something. Because this listing that I'm about to do and uh, these names I'm about to list off in terms of draft picks that Trent Baalke has acquired uh, is really, really going to really basically make some people sick and disappointed and concerned, I guess is the best word to put it, in terms of the offensive talent that Trent Baalke was able to acquire when he was the general manager with the San Francisco 49ers. So according to Pro Football Reference, Trent Baalke became the GM slash VP of personnel for the 49ers in 2010. Uh, So we'll just start with the year 2010. Uh, whether or not he was mostly a VP or a general manager, we'll just roll with, uh, for the sake of this this conversation, we'll just say he was the general manager and the lead guy uh, making the decisions in terms of acquiring personnel. So as I pull up the draft history, we'll start with 2010. And I'll, I kind of have to work through these fast. I don't want to make this long-winded. But so 2010, you know, we'll, we'll say for the sake of this conversation, that's where Trent Baalke decided or uh, Trent Baalke was allowed to start making the personnel decisions. Uh, it, it's, it, it actually isn't that bad in 2010. Uh, Anthony Davis, he was a long-term right tackle for the team and Colin Kaepernick, uh, although Colin Kaepernick wasn't there at the time. Mike Upati, a long-term uh, guard for the team as well. So those were the first two picks there. So, you know, there were some uh, hits there in terms of getting the offensive linemen. Uh, needed for your quarterback of the future whoever that was and there also was Navarro Bowman as well that was drafted a longtime linebacker from Penn State or he was there for a decent amount of time but the catch is here is acquiring talent that directly affects Trevor Lawrence that being said Navarro Bowman plays on the defensive side of the ball yeah he makes the class look better but we're talking about in this specific conversation the talent around your quarterback. Then you move to 2011. Another good, uh, decent class for Trent Baalke because he got Alden Smith, a franchise pass rusher. But at the same time, you can argue uh, maybe not so much a good pick. While he was a great pass rusher for them, there were all kinds of off-the-field issues. And you could tell that the work wasn't done on Alden Smith, right, in terms of who he is off the field. And if you're the Jacksonville Jaguars, we don't need any more of that either because we went through that uh, in the past with uh with, with some guys or whatever the case may be. And uh, that was kind of the case with Alden Smith, albeit he was a great pass rusher when he was in his prime, just couldn't get things right off the field. Also, in the second round, they drafted Colin Kaepernick, as we all know. Uh, you know, he was the leading force to getting them to the playoffs 2011 and 12 and 13 as Coach Harbaugh and Greg Roman made a revolutionary offense with him in the mix and, and what have you. So, uh, you know, 
got your quarterback, got your franchise pass rusher. You can count that as a good draft, but, you know, you kind of got to put an asterisk on that because Alden Smith didn't stay in the league or Alden Smith wasn't with the team long term because of his off the field issues as well. And again, we are looking for, in this specific case for Trevor Lawrence, talent that helps you directly on the offense again. Alden Smith is a defensive player, uh, but was a very good defensive player for them nonetheless, and one that you can't discredit Balky for, but how did he help Colin Kaepernick directly? So next class is the 2012 class, and from this point on in the rest of Trent Balky's tenure is where it gets concerning, especially in terms of acquiring skill guys. Yeah, he acquired two offensive linemen in that 2012 class or that 2010 class, excuse me. But in terms of getting skill guys, and, and, and when I say skill guys, I mean running backs, uh, receivers, and what have you, it gets terrible here. And this is where if you're Trevor Lawrence and you looked at this stuff, you're concerned about that. In addition to the stuff, you know, that's been said about Trent Balky in terms of, uh, you know, all of the, the things that go on behind the scenes and what have you and his relationship with the coaches and this, that, and the other. A.J. Jenkins, I remember, I know you all remember him from Illinois. Uh, did not stick around. That was their first-round pick, number 30 overall. Did not stick around with the team for no more than, I think, two to three years. I'm going to look it up before I speak on that. One year. Your first-round pick stuck with the team for one year and only registered, let's see here, didn't even, now that I look at it, he might have been traded because after that one year, he went to the Kansas City Chiefs. Uh, his career high is 130 yards. Only spent three years in the NFL, by the way. One of which was with the 49ers, of course. Didn't register any stats. He registered a target. And this is your first round pick, by the way. This is supposed to be the guy that's going to be helping out your quarterback, in this case, Colin Kaepernick. Only saw one target in his whole San Francisco 49ers career. How concerning is that? LaMichael James, I know you all remember him. The speedster from Oregon was their second round pick. Uh, let's see how many. I can't remember how many years he stuck around with the team. But I'm looking at it here. Spent two years with the San Francisco 49ers. This is the ongoing theme. I spoke about this in the spaces, remember? A lot of these guys that... Trent Baalke drafted, especially skilled guys and offensive guys, are either no longer in the league, didn't stay with the team throughout the entirety of their uh, rookie contract, or, uh, you know, after their rookie contract, uh, left the team and didn't remain with the team. And that's not what you want. I think I said it was around 57%, almost 60% of the guys from the data I looked at, if I can recall, I have to go back and refer to that, um, that either left the team uh, or was cut or whatever the case may be. But the point is they weren't main mainstays for the San Francisco 49ers. And that's something you don't like to see if you're a quarterback, especially. And that's something that you shouldn't like to see if you are a owner that's done your research, which obviously Shad Khan has not done. So we'll continue here. Like, again, I don't want to get long-winded, so we're going to kind of speed this process up. And I won't go through all of the years of Trent Baalke there, but we'll move on to 2014 or is it 20? Okay, 2013, uh, the year after they drafted A.J. Jenkins. 
Um, you know, they got Eric Reed, who was, you know, he was a decent safety for the league. Um, I think he's a free agent now, but that doesn't help. What I'm saying is we're referring to offensive talent here and helping Trevor Lawrence. So, again, a pick that doesn't directly help your quarterback or, in that case, Colin Kaepernick. Now, they did get Vance McDonald, but if I can recall, and I'm going to click on it, they got Vance McDonald this year, but Vance McDonald ended up going to the Pittsburgh Steelers. So he wasn't a mainstay with the San Francisco 49ers, despite being drafted in one of the top three rounds or whatever the case may be. So yeah, he stuck around with the 49ers for four seasons, it appears. Um, never registered any more than two, uh, 391 yards with them. Um, so essentially what you're looking at is Dan Arnold. That's certainly not enough to help a quarterback flourish and get where he needs to be in terms of, uh, you know, helping out your quarterback in general. So, you know, Vance McDonald, you can kind of say was a meh pick for him. It was okay pick for him. Uh, but, again, we're talking about in these last three classes or last two classes I'm looking at here, we're talking about one meh player on offense, you know. Uh, so, proceeding on to 2014 because I don't see any more here. Until, well, actually, actually, we'll continue on 2013. Some late rounders, some fourth round guys. I see uh, receiver Quentin Patton here from Louisiana Tech. Uh, Louisiana Tech, I remember him. Uh, was a uh, more so like, felt like a slot guy. They got him in the fourth round. I stuck around with the 49ers for four years. Registered no more than 408 yards didn't really make that much of an impact on helping the quarterback again. Um, just continuing on the trend of, of what I've already been saying. So he spent four years with the 49ers, but no longer is in the league uh, past that point. And I mean, I think he might be over the age of 30 at this point. But the point is that not a difference maker, right? Not a difference maker. Not that much of a difference maker for the quarterback. Notice the trend here. And then Marshawn, or excuse me, Marcus Lattimore, the running back from uh, South Carolina, I know a lot of you remember him, and we all know Trent Baalke's history of taking, uh, you know, players that have big-time injuries and hoping that, you know, it'll be a, uh, you know, low-risk, high-reward type of situation did not work out for them. Uh, if I can recall Marcus Lattimore, and I'm clicking on his name right now, if I can recall before this even loads up, he never uh, saw a down with the team in terms of the regular season and it looks like he didn't because I'm not seeing any stats here so not really helping out your quarterback here at all in terms of you know this 2013 2012 class at all you drafted Colin Kaepernick in the class before these two but really not adding any talent to uh, replace you know those guys that were there those guys that were mainstays Frank Gore and Michael Crabtree that eventually moved on and, uh, you know, Vernon Davis and, and what have you, not replacing those guys. And that's how you get where you were. You know, you had the success 11, 12, and 13. After that season, you fall off the cliff pretty much. And that's how that happens. The lack of ability to get skill guys in, that is what I said in the spaces. Um, and now that I'm looking at it in person again, going over <laughs> in person again, it's very alarming and you you know it's just real concerning for Trevor Lawrence and if he sees this or if he has seen this or know of this or the people around him reflect back on Trent Baalke's history this is concerning and this is a reason for you to be in Shad Khan's ear and saying hey I think we need to do a clean sweep um you know get it to where the uh, the GM and the new coach 
or you know both new guys here they're seeing eye to eye eliminate the dysfunction and furthermore get a guy that can put talent around me because this is concerning continuing to 2014 jimmy ward is still there of course defensive player though doesn't help out trevor lawrence directly you know or help out a quarterback uh directly carlos hyde yeah he was a mainstay there you could say he was a hit but was he a number one running back that could help out the 49ers or help out uh colin kaepernick uh to the degree that you would like probably not uh he's been you know uh, pretty much a journeyman you know been to jacksonville twice spent some time with houston and maybe one other team that i'm forgetting but this isn't a guy that's been a mainstay again a guy that you drafted high uh, but, you know, these guys, when you draft them this high, you want them to stick around with the organization for, you know, at least until they're 28, 29. And in the quarterback's case, into their uh, upper 30s. And none of these guys are doing that. So that's the trend here. No need to continue with this uh, these classes from Trent Baalke because it just gets worse and worse and concerning if you're a quarterback. And for that reason, that is why you have this uproar. And that is why, you know, Trevor Lawrence should be concerned. And that is why uh, you have to wonder if Shad Khan, who says he's going to be more hands-on, is paying attention to what's going on around him and just knows exactly what is going on in terms of uh, the whole element of acquiring personnel and this, that, and the other. He says he's being more hands-on, but Trent Baalke puts together a lackluster offseason and you're keeping him. So were you really paying attention uh, are you not seeing the lack of talent that was brought into this team and has only helped this team to get one more win, whatever the case may be? Uh, it, it appears not that you, you know, you could say you're being hands on, but a lot of people at this point could argue and call it BS. Uh, because when you look at the offseason he had with Jacksonville, and you look at these draft picks that he put around his quarterback with the San Francisco 49ers, you know, you have to feel like, you know, this is the kind of easy stuff that Shotgun could. Uh, easily look up himself or acts around himself and and garner in addition to him being able to get along with his co-workers and see eye to eye with his co-workers as again there were three coaching changes in san francisco so that being said i won't even go through the rest of trent balky's classes you all get the point at this point um a guy that wasn't able to put the pieces around his quarterback for however long Colin Kaepernick was there because eventually we know about um, the whole kneeling situation and Colin Kaepernick, uh, you know, eventually wasn't in the league and, and what have you. Uh, but even with that being the case, if Colin Kaepernick would have stayed in the league, Trent Baalke wasn't doing him any favors in terms of getting the skill guys around him. And, you know, that's where we are right now. And We'll see uh, how this coaching search goes in terms of who he can find in terms of a head coach. But the bottom line is that won't matter if the man that's acquiring the talent is missing on draft picks in this manner. As I said, I think it was about a 60% rate that I did the data on or I, I looked up some data on that these players stuck around in terms of draft picks with the San Francisco 49ers. You can't win that way regardless of who's the coach. And that being said, uh, that's going to be the issue going forward if the Jacksonville Jaguars continue on with Trent Baalke. So we're going to wrap this one up, and it's just hitting me that I didn't even get to get into looking ahead to the New England Patriots. Again, the Jacksonville Jaguars are going through a lot of COVID issues, and uh, so are the Patriots. But uh, a new COVID rule 
has been passed where, you know, the NFL's rule kind of aligns with the CDC. So people that are asymptomatic can come back within five days. So that might help the Jags. Uh, but, you know, at this point of the season, as Phil said, you know, it's just kind of getting redundant of the things we can say about the games because just the talent isn't there and they all look the same at this point. And this game might be a massacre as well. Um, I hope they can protect Trevor Lawrence to the best of their abilities and get some of those guys back on the starting offensive line. We'll see. Uh, but all of that information will be on the Jaguars Wire. That's jaguarswire.usatoday.com. We'll do behind enemy lines probably with the Patriots Wire with Henry, uh, with Henry McKenna. Uh, Shout-outs to him doing a great job over there at the Patriots Wire. Um, and, you know, we'll have the injury report and the COVID reports and be previewing the Patriots along the way. So stick to the Jaguars wire more so uh, for things in terms of the game. But um, we're sticking to the most important part, at least for the podcast, of what's going on in the news headlines. And that's this head coaching search. That's the Trent Balky situation and so on and so forth. So you can follow me at sportsgrind underscore done on Twitter. You can follow Phil at Phil the Filipino on uh, Twitter as well. And you can feel free to check out this podcast, the Believe in Jazz podcast, on many, many outlets. Feel free to rate, comment, subscribe, and what have you. Uh, head over to wherever you get your podcast from, uh, whether that's Luminary, TuneIn, Stitcher, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, iTunes. We're pretty much there. Uh, Google Play. And if we aren't there, uh, feel free, as I said earlier in the podcast, to reach out to us. And let us know um, of any other platforms that you haven't seen us on. So this has been episode 101 of the Believe in Jags podcast. And don't forget to believe in the Jacksonville Jaguars, but most importantly, believe in yourselves. Everybody have a good day. Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.